Good evening, church. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name is Colin, the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ. And this is Dan Spade. He's one of our elders. And here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. If you'd like to learn more about what that means, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at www.churchvictoria.com. This is our Wednesday evening conversation through the law and the prophets where we open up the Old Testament. We move through the narrative and the text and we see how it impacts us today as the church and how it how that text connects to Jesus. Um, if you're listening Listening to this on the Heart and Heads podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you have the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. And if you're watching this on Facebook, make sure to like and share. That really helps us out. And make sure to comment down below. Um, if this ministry has blessed you or you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, I want, I want to encourage you to head over to that website. At the top of the page, we have a donate button that uh, take, will take you to PayPal, and you can partner with us as we seek to teach and preach the gospel. Uh, we're going to pray and get into the lesson. Again, church, thank you so much for joining us. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for the, uh, for the opportunity we have to do this. Uh, Father, we, we're thankful, Father, for the people that are involved here that uh, that that put this thing on and, and help us to get this done. Thankful for Sarah and what she does. And I just pray, Father, that you bless her and, and bless all her efforts as well. Father, help us as we study this morning. Help us, Father, to uh, to present this in a way that people can understand and that people can use this, Father, to draw closer to you. We thank you for the opportunities and we thank you for those, whoever they are, that's going to come and watch at whatever point they do that, that we might say the right things at the right time. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, I think I think something I, I was thinking about today that we need to do is make sure that we that people understand what we're doing here, what, what where we're at here. You know, we're dealing with the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with God's people and God's plan of salvation. That's right. This is the unfolding of the plan of salvation. Correct. And it's just part of it. Yep. This is part of the of the of the narrative of the gospel, mm-hmm. the, the 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 steps that he's taking to get us to where he's going to get us to. Yeah. yeah. Why does why does the rebellion that God is complete is is constantly dealing with on on behalf of Israel? Why is that so upsetting? Well, because all the way back in Genesis chapter three, God made a promise. Mm-hmm. You know, He said, "I'm going to save the world." Yeah. I'm not going to let you destroy it. Talking to the the rebel, the original spiritual rebel, the serpent, right? So I'm not going to let you destroy it. I'm going to win this fight. I'm going to save these people. I'm going to save my creation. I'm going to save what I started to do. Um, you know, Dan, you were a mechanic for a long time. Did you ever have that car that you just decided wasn't going to beat you? That you were going to get it fixed oh, and yeah. get it back on the oh, road? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I mean, we, we all experienced that. When I worked uh, as a medic, you know, I, I had those patients where it was like, you know, a lot of my patients where it was like, I'm not going to let this, I'm, I'm taking this, I am, I am looking at death, death is my enemy and I'm going to win. I'm going to save this patient. I don't care what, what death throws at me here. So we all get, as men, we, we especially, I would mm-hmm. say that we get, we get like that sometimes. And, and God certainly is of that opinion. Mm-hmm. I am going to save everyone. And this is how he does it. Mm-hmm. He's, he started part of it. He started out with the whole world, and the whole world turned against him. He gave the world a chance. That's Genesis 1 through 11. Then 12, it turns to Abraham and his family. One, one of the things that, that some of this seems like, when you start dealing with it, it seems so tedious. Uh-huh. And it's so repetitious. And and what we have to understand is, is that he's dealing with a people. 
right. a group of people. He has not brought the Savior yet. This is the group of people he's going to bring the Savior from. That's right. And he's dealing with them in all of their intricate details that they have and all the, the little twists and quirks that they have, just like us. And we try to bring that out sometimes when we when we, when we see it. Absolutely. And, uh, but, you know, this is... This is uh, you know, it, it seems. It, I don't want the. I don't want the study to seem like God. We're going to go here again. Well, there's a, there's a reason for this. That's right. There's a reason for. You'll see it down the road. I mean, I wrote some notes on chapter 18 here in Numbers. You know that that deal with us being priests. You know, yeah. that deal with us being priests. And and so you know, it, does it have any connection to us? Yeah, it does. We try to bring it out. And, uh, and hopefully we make it interesting, and that's what we're trying to do here. Well, yeah. I think we need to keep in mind that we are reading a English translation of a book that was written, oh, four, five thousand years ago. I was going to say four thousand, you know, around four thousand. Um, yeah. You know, even if you took more, uh, if even if you took scholarship that is more critical of the Old Testament and wants to wants to say it's not nearly as old, you're still looking at twenty five hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, somewhere between the realm of 4,000, 5,000, 5, 4, 5,000 to 2,500 well, years ago. Historically, we know about the time frame Jesus was here. Yeah, we know that's been about 2,000 years it's ago. It's been about 2,000 years, right? So from that, we know that there was a, there was a period of time between the, the last writing and Jesus coming on the scene. It was probably two, three, four hundred well, years, something like so, that. So, so the more critical scholars would say that the Old Testament was put together, uh, was put together while they were in exile. So the law, the histories, all of this stuff was all written and put together really uh, going from yeah. an oral yeah. to a written form during probably during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and others while Judah was in exile. I think that's I think there's some truth to that, certainly. But I think there's also I think it goes too far. Um you know, Josiah finds the book of the law yeah. in, in the wall, right? Mm-hmm. So there's obviously something that was written down. Moses, uh, throughout Exodus, we constantly see Moses or Joshua writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I don't believe in the idea that, uh, I don't think there's a lot of credence to say that it's all oral and then it well, was eventually written down. I think one of the things you cannot forget is that God tells us to have faith. Yeah. And I believe that God wrote the book. Sure. How he wrote it, when he wrote it, what no time? I don't really care. Well, and that's and that's what doesn't stress. That's why I don't get stressed. I know a lot of Christians get really frustrated. No, Moses wrote the first five. Okay, look, um, you're gonna have a problem with that because we're gonna get to Deuteronomy, and Moses is dead by the time that book gets written. Yeah. So you're gonna have an issue with this, okay? And that's just looking at the book and what it says, Mm -hmm. okay? So I think I think we can get out of sorts a little bit. We can get really fixated on things that we've traditionally believed. Um, versus the reality of what yeah. the book actually yeah. says. And I agree with you 100%. I believe that God put this book together. That's obviously what Jesus believed because, mm-hmm. you know, he references it quite a bit mm-hmm. and he talks about the law from Moses. And ultimately, for me, the the authenticity of the Old Testament hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. Well, and when you look at places like First Peter and you look at other places and it talks about, you know, these guys were writing down stuff. They didn't have a clue what they're writing. Mm-hmm. They were they've longed to understand. It says even angels long to understand right. these things. So you know we know that that this was God. Men were inspired to write. You know who wrote this? I don't really care. I don't really care. Do I believe it's true? Absolutely, I believe it's true. If I didn't believe it's true, then I can't do what I'm doing. So I, I mean, 
there, there, there are experts in the Old Testament who would argue that we have very good reasons to believe in the reliability of the Old Testament outside of the resurrection of Jesus. My opinion is this. Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He rose from the dead. He is the Son of God. Because I am persuaded by the evidence for that, I, I take Jesus's, I take my Lord, my God's word as, for as it. His word, yeah. I don't need additional information here. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not an expert in the Old Testament by any means, and so we're doing our best. Yeah. You know, we've pointed out so, multiple times we're not scholars, so... Yeah. No, we're not. But, but the one confusion, thing I can, I can look I, at... Hold I, on, hold on. I want to okay. point this out, because you talked about the tediousness of uh -huh. it. So understand something. Not only are we reading a book that was written potentially 4,000, 5,000 years ago to a culture that is dead and gone, and we're reading a translation of it, okay? Mm -hmm. We're reading a translation of their li ancient literary works. That's number one. That's always going to be hard to understand. But then number two is this. You said, Peter points out in the New Testament, angels longed to look into it and understand. Okay. So these aren't just documents written to an ancient culture that no longer exists that we're going to have trouble understanding. No. The second thing is this. God hid his plan of salvation in it. Yeah. It takes Jesus on the road to Emmaus to explain to people how the law and the prophets refer to him. Mm -hmm. He has to open their mind for them to understand. Yeah. Right? So... We're, God is in a war with this enemy who is who is likely a former angel of some sort, an angelic being, a divine power, right, in and of itself. Not a god, but a spiritual power authority in and of itself. He's in a war with this thing. And so he's, what is he doing? He's obscuring his motives from the enemy. Mm -hmm. So we're reading these documents, trying to understand, follow the breadcrumbs that God is laying down. Of course, now we're on the other side. Now, of it. Let me, I want to interject some here. You know, I'm, you were saying that, and I agree with you. Then, and because we know that that when Jesus is confronted in the wilderness, this spiritual demonic entity confronts him with the word. Yeah. But I hear a lot of people use the word, but they can't dive into and dissect and understand the intricacies that where Jesus, where God hid. I mean, I can see a magic trick, and I can think I know how it works. And I can try to imitate it. Can't imitate it because I don't know how it really works. You know, he can take the scripture and use it. Doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I see a lot of preachers today. Hmm. They use the scripture a lot. Doesn't mean they know what it's talking about. Yeah. They, they don't mean they really understand the details of the plan and the, and the mystery of it. Jesus, God telling, told me, I, I forget where it was. He said, I'm going to reveal to you a mystery. You know, I'm going to reveal to you a mystery. He says that a couple of times he about does. different things. He tells us, you know, and, and so he did hide it. But, you know, and I can say, well, I'm, a, I'm not that, that intelligent. How can, because, because I've come to him with my heart. I've come to him with my soul. I said, God, help me to understand. And he reveals things to us. Yeah. And so we, we sit here and we study with you and we study things that, are, man, you know, and we're, our prayer is that we'll explain it in a way where you can understand it. Well, and, and so not only is God right doing all of those things he's speaking to this ancient culture calling them out from where they came to be his people mm -hmm. they are a shadow of the church to come right so it's a foreshadowing yep. god's doing that he's also bringing salvation through it you know why is this tedious to read he's doing all these things and then on top of all of it paul says this in first corinthians and romans he says all these things that happened were to teach the church yeah so god god has yeah. this has it through this word through his word what is he doing? He's bringing, like, I, I list all the things that God is doing. He's bringing life to these people. He's bringing life to people that will come. He's setting the stage for Jesus. And it's in, it's also instructing the church 
we're supposed to learn from all this stuff. We're supposed to learn to be faithful. We're supposed to learn how to endure all from this stuff. He's doing all of these things with this work. Yeah. And he's doing a bunch of other stuff that I haven't even talked about. Yeah. Laying the foundation and the prophecies so that we can know the Messiah when he comes. It's crazy. Absolutely. So why is is it tedious? Because we serve an awesome God who knows what he's doing and knows how to use documents written by mud dwellers, 4,005. I say mud dwellers. They really weren't. But that's how we think of them sometimes. You know, these people that lived four or 5,000 years ago who didn't know what electricity was and who did, I mean, just unbelievable things. They would be a... They would be scared to death to step into our realm today. I don't think they'd be nearly as scared as we would be stepping back into. Their, oh, I guarantee into their you that. World. Guarantee that because we are so sheltered. Very we sheltered. So we're baby. We are, we are so sheltered that for the for the vast majority of human history, the thing that killed people the most was starvation. Now, in our culture today, people are dying because they're too fat. Yeah. I mean, that's that's yeah. where we're at. Yeah. We, we're, we've completely gone away. I mean, we are so disconnected yeah. from reality yeah. that our, our people in our culture are literally dying from, uh, according to uh, the one episode of The Office, fat butt disease. Yeah. So it's 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 unreal. We're, no. we're totally, I mean, we live in a completely well, different world. Now that we've given a 10 or 12 minute introduction. Yeah. Let's look at the text. Well, and so, so you know, when we're talking about things that God does, we're going to see something very interesting. So, Dan, you have three kids. They're all born and raised, and you have grandchildren. When one of your kids uh, broke the rules and did something wrong, what was what did that punishment look like? I remember when we grew up. Okay. Uh, what did that? Pu- well, yeah. <laughs> what did that punishment look like? What was the goal? Right. What were you? What was the? What did the punishment look like? And what, what was, was the goal? Yeah. So let's 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 take for example one of your your sons or your grandson. Would you take one of your grandsons? Mm-hmm. One of your grandsons today. You bring him up to the building. I'm going to give you a hypothetical situation, and you. I want you to walk me through the punishment here. One of your grandsons today comes up to the building with you, and he's supposed to be cleaning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And instead of cleaning, he gets into one of the classrooms. He finds a bag of candy and he stuffs his face. Mm-hmm. And you walk in and you catch him and he's not cleaning. He's sitting there on the floor. He's got all this candy and he's stuffing his face with it. What does punishment look like? I call his daddy. Okay. I call his dad because it's mm-hmm. not my, ch- it's not my, it's not my responsibility. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him, mm-hmm. but the discipline part belongs to his father. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whichever father it is, that's their, that's their responsibility, sure. not mine. You know, if it was my child. You know, we have some kind of punishment involved, whatever it may be. First off, he would have never gotten away from me long enough to go do that to begin with. I would have never done that. I've never allowed him to do that. I was going to have him, I was going to have him stapled to my hip, mm-hmm. you know, because I know what little boys can do. I know what they're going to, what they're capable of. And I know what I would have done. So I'm going to make sure like, you know, I see kids running amok in a grocery store. My kids never would have done that. I'd have, I'd have clocked them on the spot. Because you know they're going to be they're going to behave themselves they're going to be respectful and they're going to be they're not going to be uh, 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 I would I would take them to the car tear them up take them back in and say now let's see if you've learned anything but they they're not going to do that they they just weren't I wouldn't right. I wouldn't allow that well my boys learned that you know and and they're they would they would I I know they would discipline theirs the, the same way not maybe with the same kind of discipline but they're going to discipline them they're going to expect their kids to be uh, 
to be mindful and respectful of other people. And they're going to be uh, mindful and respectful of obeying the rules. Now, did they always do that? No. That's why we had discipline. And sometimes Georgia would, would stand in the corner. You know, I'm a, I've, I've got a, I had a, you know, remember, this is back in the day. I had a strap about that wide. And it hung on the, on the wall at the shop. Because my kids were with me. Most, they got dropped off at school on the bus. And they went home with me. You know, Georgia was working at that time. So they had to come to the shop. If you're not spanking your children or using corporal discipline on your children, you're wrong. So, uh, sorry. I, that, that might not be YouTube approvable. I don't really care. Um, the idea that non-corporal discipline is effective on children is ludicrous. Yeah. It's insane. Well, it goes against what God said. Well, I mean, it's it's just, and it's not proven. All these studies, and I would challenge you, look at these, someone says, oh, I got studies that show nonsense. Show me the study. And you can find all sorts of things wrong with these studies. They're not done wide enough. They're not done broad enough. They're not done with enough kids. Mm -hmm. They have no idea. Also, there are no studies proving the efficacy of timeout mm -hmm. in school suspensions. Mm -hmm. First of all, removal of a child from his, his uh, environment, right? Um, basically putting a child off by himself, that's more damaging to a child than anything else. That's way more damaging to a kid than, than spanking them. Well, you know, now is there, are there excesses in spankings? Are there excesses in corporal punishment? Of course, but we're not talking about the excesses. We're talking about a loving parent who's doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with our culture today, the reason why you have kids running around amok and doing all this nonsense is because there is no There's corporal no discipline, discipline anymore. No discipline. Parents aren't parents. No. Parents essentially, I watch my, I watch my, uh, I watch my family all the time with their kids. I won't say who, but I watch my family all the time with their kids. And it's like, you wrap that child on the butt and that behavior stops. Mm -hmm. That's, you can't reason with the child. They have no capacity to reason. That It's just well, that one simple. Of, one of the things so, that, that we were, sorry. one of the things that we were, that, you know, my wife, when she was here at the building mm -hmm. with our kids when they were little, yeah. her whole focus was not on interacting with other women. Her whole focus was training her children. Sure. That means that means she never, hardly ever let them out of her sight. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now if they were if they were in class, that was different. But if they were in that auditorium, she had her eyes on them ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. Sure. If she was going to the bathroom, she'd tell me, I'm going to the bathroom, watch them. And if they got one of them, I remember Kevin, I think, got out of line. And she walked up during the middle of service, told him, let's go, and took him out. And he was a teenager. And she took him out. And, and she, you know what? She never had to do it again. No. Not ever again. But she made sure that that uh, that uh, she, she was paying attention to what they were. I don't see parents doing that anymore. No. I don't see them even paying attention anymore. Their kids run amok. And so, you know, when you see when you see God disciplining his children, that's exactly what he's doing. And well, you can learn from him. And so and I wanted to say that because you started kind of equivocating. Well, you remember, it was back then and all these things. OK, well, back then was better. Back then raised sons and daughters who were or sons anyway, who were willing to storm the beaches of Normandy to defeat evil today, on the European. Let continent. me explain. So, today, I would not spank my child with that leather strap. Today. Okay, fair enough. I would spank them with my hand. I would not spank them with the leather strap. Well, see, and I'm the opposite direction. I'm in the opposite direction. So I grew up in, in a very Hispanic culture. We use a chunkla. 
I don't want to use a sandal. Uh -huh. I don't want to use my hand mm -hmm. uh, on my kid. And, and the reason for that is well, I want my children to, to understand the differentiation, mm -hmm. right? If they if they see me coming at them with a chunkla, they understand sandal. <laughs> they understand, <laughs> okay. right? That hey, I'm I'm in the wrong here. I'm about to be corrected. Yeah. But if they see me coming at them, right? So that would be that would be a little bit of a difference. But understand, and I want I want people to understand that you've got to de you've got to uh, curtail the punish or not curtail, but you've got to orient the punishment towards the child. My daughter Isabel needs a lot less spankings than my son scott mm -hmm. and that's just the way they are my daughter allison probably needs more spankings than all of them combined yeah so it i mean it really just you've got to look at each child and you've got to measure it out meet it out there's also got to be phase outs i've told my son i don't want to be spanking you anymore you're already 10 years old you ought to you ought to you ought to know better you know compared to an eight-year-old or a four-year-old you ought to know better there's a level of responsibility yeah, I here i don't think kevin so, i don't think kevin puts a hand on connor anymore i, don't I mean think. it's just not have to it, it's just not necessary it comes a yeah. point where it's no longer necessary yeah. or it should be no longer well necessary. i can tell you i can tell you because because they live right next door to us and we see them a lot sure you know i can i can look at connor i can look at trenton and i can look at them and i said done and they're done they know yeah. They know, you know, and and it and I told when when this happened and we and we had responsibility these kids. I told Kevin, I said if we can't, and I think this was when Cliff was alive. I said if we're going to because that was when he was married. He they got a divorce. He got custody, and and he and and he moved into the apartment next door. And he said, I said if we're going to do this, we all three have to be on the same page. We can't override and contradict any one of the three. No, it will not work. I said, if you if if I'm in the room and you're in the room, I will I will acquiesce to you. You're the dad. But if if you don't see it, I'm I'm clocking. I'm getting it. I'm getting in the middle of it. And and it worked. You know, it worked. The, the discipline worked. We they got to a point we'd have to physically discipline him anymore. Uh, and it's and it, like you said with Scott, you, you well, get to you, that. They point. learn self. That's how they learn self restraint. Yeah, but. We've gone really far afield. Well, so, I don't think the, so because the, because we've just come past in chapter seventeen where he had to discipline the nation. Well, but in what in what world would you look at your your son? We're going back to this hypothetical, and it's mm -hmm. all hypothetical, right? Your your grandson sitting there on the floor. You find him eating all this candy, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at him, and in what hypothetical world does he get another bag of candy? No, he doesn't get another bag. No of way, candy. right? No. Look at what God does in eighteen. I know He's going to give. He's going to give. Look, look at this is crazy. Let's let's really look at this. Let's read this for a second <laughs> right. because understand, right? It's it's just absolutely bonkers what God does here. I think and and just here eighteen verse one. The Lord said to Aaron, "You, your sons, your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. Bring your fellow. Now wait a minute. Up until this point." Aaron and his sons are the only priests. Yeah. That's it. The Levites are not <laughs> priests yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. These same Levites who just rebelled over this exact thing. Mm -hmm. This is what the rebellion was all about. Come back to Leviti uh, Numbers 16. This is what the rebellion was all about. If we come back to Numbers 16... And, he, and we look at verse um, uh, 3. 
16.3, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to him, you've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above, above the Lord's assembly? Now look, now we come down to seven, and Moses says, you Levites have gone too far. Look at eight. Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle mm -hmm. and to stand before the community and minister to them? He's brought you all, you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too? It is against... It is against that the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? So that was what the argument was about. Yeah. Now here in Numbers 18. He's going to give him the whole priesthood. He's going to give it to him. Hmm. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Doesn't sound right, does it? Now, to be fair, Korah and all his people <laughs> are dead. Yeah, they're dead. Those who instigated this rebellion are yep. gone. Yep. But God's looking at the rest of them now, and he's saying, okay, you want you want more responsibility? This is an issue for the Levites? Fine. Why does God do this? Why is he... Why is he... Cha he's changing his law here. He's changing his law for this people. Why? I don't know. Well, I, I, think, I think we struggle with this concept for two reasons, okay? Mm -hmm. The first reason is this. We think that God's law is complete and perfect. Mm -hmm. And when we hear that, we think it's, it's, it's got everything we need in it, right? But when we say that, we misunderstand the purpose of the law. The law is not complete and perfect. In fact, I, in, e, in Ezekiel... I, I was just going to go there. Go okay, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, in Ezekiel, going. he says, I gave you things in this law yeah. that you would not be able to do. Yeah. Paul tells us in the New Testament that the purpose of the law was to, 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 bring, us to, to bring us to Christ. It was a tutor <laughs> to teach us of our need for Christ. In that sense, the law is perfect. It was not within our ability to understand all of it. I think that I, I think part of the problem or part of the problem that I see is that when we look at the law of Moses, we have a tendency to want to want to say that it is something that it isn't. The whole point of the law was solely to bring us to Jesus. And In that's, that why, sense, it's that's perfect. why Paul has such a problem with with the with all of the 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 Jewish Christians that were trying to in were trying to influence the new convert Gentiles with bits and pieces of the law. He knew it was over with. He knew that he knew what it was. He wrote the book of Galatians and said it was not for this purpose. That's right. It, and he, te he tells him twice that if you or an angel or anybody tries to bring forth another gospel, let them be accursed. That is what they were doing. That's right. Bringing in another gospel mm -hmm. by adding to the gospel that was already there, the, the fact of Jesus resurrecting from the dead and putting putting conditions on that. Well, so there's a, there's the other the other problem is this we have a concept that we think that somehow obedience to law brings salvation it doesn't no. it never has no. because you're not obedient you know it doesn't matter how hard we try it doesn't matter how hard we work at some point we have sinned we have violated the law and the whole purpose of the law is to tell us that when we violate well, law we we are condemned something else too and we've we've talked about this verse before Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says everything was written in the past written by our learning that's right written to teach us so here's something. What are we going to learn today? What, what are we going to learn? What you know, in the little time we have left, what, what are we going to learn here? Well, you know that God's not like we think. Sometimes He is definitely not, not, not like we think. You know, there's there's a great wealth of information in the Old Testament, great wealth of, of learning, and great wealth. But 
but it is there to bring us to the one who can save our lives, period. And when you have churches out there that are that are trying to incorporate bits and pieces of this into okay. their worship, you know, that's wrong because that's not what it was for. It was never intended. It was never intended for us to worship like this. It was never intended for us to take this and add it to our worship. It was now. Is he going to teach us something here about the priesthood? Absolutely. Well, you know, we've got scriptures that I'm, that I'm going to go to next week that we, talks about the priesthood. So, what is God doing here? I, I think we need to remember, God is about life. He sees this as a potential, a continual potential stumbling block mm -hmm. for the Levites, mm -hmm. and so He's going to expand their role. He's going to give them more responsibilities. He doesn't give them the high priesthood. No. There's still things that God locks away to Aaron and his sons, which it, it's funny because we, you know, we talk about God makes these everlasting covenants. Well, he's going to give an everlasting covenant to Phinehas at some point here, which is one of the sons of Aaron. And then Phinehas's line is going to fall away with Eli. And God's going to say, well, I had made this covenant with your line, and now we're done. That covenant's over because you weren't faithful to me. So there is an expectation of faithfulness. Just because God says we have an everlasting covenant doesn't mean that if we are if we fail in our obligation, He isn't right to remove that covenant. Yeah. And we see it happen with Eli well, that's and the what high priest. I mean, it, that's exactly what a covenant is. A covenant is, is, a, is an agreement. Well, we have a lot of people today that want to say, "Well, you know." Once I believe in Jesus, I can't do anything to walk away. And I'm always going to receive. Well, and that's just not true. You can no. absolutely abandon the faith. No. You can absolutely, you can believe. Look, guys, the enemy believes that Jesus is the son of God. He's well aware. Yeah. And he ain't saved. No. Okay. No. So you can agree with God on the facts of the case and, and still and this, make yourself. And this concept is a once saved, always saved concept. That's yes. what, a lot of, a lot of places teach that. So what we see going on here, um, what is God's intent and purpose? Ultimately, he's working for the salvation of all people. Mm -hmm. And he knows in this that I'm going to need to tweak this for the Levites. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this is going to be a constant problem. That's what he just did with the stabs. Mm -hmm. This should not be out of character for us. But when we have those misunderstandings about the law, when we think the law is set in stone, and this was the law, and there was no, there was no changing it, and we think the purpose of the law is salvation. I keep this law perfectly, and I, and I, I get saved. When we think those two things, this becomes a real problem. But when we understand the purpose of the law was to lead us to Jesus, when we understand that the law was not perfect in the sense that it brings salvation, it yeah, was perfect in the that. sense that it sets us up for yeah. Jesus, but it's not perfect in the sense that it's the vehicle for salvation. Well, it tells us all through the book of Hebrews. All it, wasn't the, per, it wasn't the, perfect. It wasn't, it, it, there, was, there was a reason for it. Sure. And it points us to things and everything that that's why well, this here is going to point us to something. The too. law is perfect in the sense of a uh, in the sense of a screwdriver. It's perfect in the sense of a flathead screwdriver. Flathead screwdriver is a tool with a purpose mm -hmm. and it's perfect for that purpose. Yeah. yeah. But it's not a hammer. No. And if you use a flathead screwdriver as a hammer, it's not well, going to work out. Well, what and, and, you know, we're going to look at this. I mean, he's expanding the roles of the Levites. He's gonna, he's gonna. He's calling. Change the law. Yeah. He expanded the role of the Levite. And, he, and he's going to. And he's going to call them a priesthood, and and he calls the church priesthood. He does. And so we're gonna, we're going to need to look at that. Revelation chapter one, uh, Revelation chapter five, First Peter chapter two. There's different places where he where he talks about being a priest and what that means. What is it going to mean for them? I think we're gonna have. We we won't have time today, but we can look at it. What does it mean for them? That, that they bec have become priests. What does that mean? You know, it was just Aaron and Moses and that, and that family. Now it's the whole seed line. 
is become priests. What's it going to mean for them? What is God going to require of them now that you know they're going to be in, re, in charge of things and they're going to be held responsible? Yes. What are we going to be in charge of? So God expands their roles. He expands their responsibilities, just here. like He did ours. He's expanded you know, our role, Cole. I, absolutely. I don't. I don't disagree. I think that. Um, I know for a lot of people, this is a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. We look at this, and it really challenges some of the traditional views. You mm-hmm. know, within within churches of Christ, there's this argument about silence. Well, when, when God doesn't say this or that, and I, I think what we need to remember here is, look, there comes a point where I think I'm free to do something and the the expectation is for me to yield to my brother or sister. You know, I may think I'm free in all these regards, but if my brother or sister, this is a stumbling block for them, I need to yield that to them. That's how we deal with freedom. Yeah. And instead what we've had is we've had one side say, well, I'm allowed to do this. And we have another side that says, well, no, you're not. And I think what we need to come back to is look at this story and go, wait a minute, guys. The people who said, look at what Cohen, his, his rebellion said. I, we are this, right? And that kind of these people over here saying, well, I'm free to do this thing. And well, look at what happened to, to, to the rebellion. Look at what happened to the leaders there. God was not pleased with them. Now, afterwards, those who, those who survived all that, did, was God, was God lenient with those who survived? And did he meet them where they needed to be met? Yeah, absolutely. We see that too. So we need to be very Same careful. Same thing we do with children. Same thing we same do with thing, children. Same thing we do. That's why God, we brought the first part of it. You've got to put God, you've got to look at God. If, if you come to God and you look at him as a loving father who's trying to save as many people as possible, trying to save his children, these things are a lot less problematic. Yeah. If you come to God and you and understand. We can, and, you, and then when you find out they're less problematic, you can start learning from them. Well, I think, I, I think some of it too is we don't need to be afraid of what's in our book. Yeah. And, and I think for a lot of Christians, they see things like this and it challenges their perspective yeah. on, on how, you know, their perspective on yeah. certain things. And instead of going, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that before. I know it now, and I want to live a life that glorifies God, so it's no big deal. God's got this. I don't have to, I'm not afraid of this, yeah. right? I think that that's a better perspective than to say, no, this is the way I learned it. This is the way I want it. This is the way it yeah. has to be. Yeah. I mean, look, it is It is what it is. It's there. You've got to deal with it. Yeah. And so, I, again, this is an issue. We're going to see this again with David. When yeah. David commits mm-hmm. adultery, when David mm-hmm. commits murder, when David does these things— you know, the law is very clear. He should be killed. Yeah. And he's not. So what and are you going to... math my own heart. You we'll got to deal with we'll, it. That's another... That's that's thing. We'll get But there. thank God. Look, I want forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I want mercy. I want those things. I need it in my life, Dan. Yeah. So I'm not going to get mad when God We're gives look it to other people. Week. Yeah. We're gonna, because the priesthood changes again. With us, it's changed. And this we is... Don't a, serve in a, we don't serve in an earthly tabernacle. Guys, this isn't the last time we're going to see God change his law. No, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to study like this. We pray, I pray, Father, that you uh, fill our hearts uh, with the wonderment and the love and the and the, the faithfulness that comes from this word. Father, create in us a clean heart, a pure mind, Father, as we as we strive to study. Help us to to see your your uh, wonderment and your words, Father, and help us to apply them to our lives. Help us to learn from them. Help us to grow. Help us to become the people uh, that your son died, went to the cross for and came out of the tomb for on that third day. Thank you, Father, for everything you do for us. Thank you for loving us. Father, be patient with us as we learn and as we grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.